2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Yes, sir. So, you know, today, uh, this morning, I, I go to the scriptures with, <laughs> with uh, just a sense of um, uh, humility, uh, just a, an attempt to encourage you uh, today uh, in the Lord and in the season uh, of your lives and as my, in my life as well. And so I'm just here uh, to encourage you today uh, in the word of God. So will you go with me to 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2. Yes, sir. And as I said last Sunday, you're going to have to pull out your, your iPads and uh, different types of phones. And, or if you got your Bible, you wrote an old school with the paperback. Go ahead and pull it out. First uh, John chapter 2. And I'm going to start at verse 18. And if, when I start to read, and if I'm reading a different version than you are, uh, I'm just reading from the New American Standard uh, Bible, uh, that translation. Okay. Getting at verse 18. And it reads, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you know, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Skip down to verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Amen. 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 
the Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle John, wrote this letter to the church and two verses uh, that stuck out to me was verse 20 and verse 27. Verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. And then he repeats himself almost again uh, later in the letter and he says in verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. In our fast-paced life, uh, where we you know, wake up in the morning and we take care of our personal business and we run in and out of the house and you know, we, we have all type of things on our schedules, um, there, there comes a time where you know, we have to have reminders along the way. And I got a call about a week ago that brought this attention to me, was that uh, I noticed something. I, I got a call, and, and the call wasn't really a person, but it was, like, um, uh, it was like a lady's voice, but it was more like electronic. Yes, sir. And it says something like, you know, hello, this is McFarland Clinic you have an appointment scheduled for this and this day. If you cannot make this appointment, please call and reschedule. And so I noticed that the, in the medical field and in other fields as well, they have decided to kind of send out reminders so we won't forget in our biz, busy lives. And so the title that I want to talk to you today in this particular text in 1 John chapter 2 is that I want to tell you is that you have an appointment reminder, colon, no more, no shows. No more, no shows. Here's an appointment reminder. I realized that the reason that, especially when you talk about the medical field, you talk about keeping at a doctor's appointment, which is something that's very serious, you know, is important uh, when you think about the things that you lay out in your life, you know. If you miss an appointment, my goodness, uh, to be able to get another appointment might take weeks and sometimes months. And, yes, sir. And uh, I know sometimes my wife has to, if she has to re reschedule one of her appointments, I mean, it could be almost a year to get uh, some of her appointments rescheduled. And so I, wanna, I want you to think about what I mean by appointment. Appointment is defined as an agreement to meet with someone at a particular time. Another definition of an appointment is the act of giving a particular job or position to someone. Uh, the act of appointing someone, uh, the designation by virtue of, of a vested power of a person to enjoy an estate. Uh, an appointment can also be a job or duty that is given to a person, a position to which someone is appointed. And when I researched, when I looked up the reason why medical fields and uh, started to use this automatic teller for uh, to send out appointment reminders to uh, their patients, um, it said that you know, in the in the sense of no shows, um, 
Most no-shows occur because people or patients simply forget about their appointment. So what they said was, since we, we have so many amounts of, uh, great amounts of no-shows, then we'll send out, we'll get this electronic to kind of, this technology to kind of help us uh, to kind of decrease no-shows. Now when you think about no-show, no-show is, is someone who is expected to be somewhere but does not arrive or appear. A person who reserves space but neither uses nor cancels the reservation. So when you put in an appointment, you actually, you know, you're taking up space where somebody else could be in that place. A person who, uh, a, a no-show could also be a person who buys a ticket but does not attend, a person who is expected but who does not show up. Yes, sir. Or just simply a failure to show up. So when John, when he began to write this letter uh, to uh, the churches that he was actually an overseer to, uh, he began to send out these reminders. And so again, an appointment reminder. No more, no shows. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us so much that you will leave us your Holy Spirit. Uh, that you will leave us your love and your grace and your power and that you will leave us your word and I ask that you will open up our hearts that you will open up our eyes of understanding uh, that we may see you uh, we pray that you may touch our ears that we may hear what you're saying to us uh, in this time in our lives and it's in your name Jesus we pray amen. amen let me tell you a little bit about the author the apostle John John was the, the last disciple uh, pretty much to see Jesus alive. Remember, John was the apostle that was at the cross, uh, at the foot of the cross where, where Jesus actually gave a, a, a statement and he handed over his mother to the apostle John. He said, son, behold thy mother. And he looked at his mother and said, mother, behold thy son. The Apostle John was also, he was one of the, the, the brothers that was also known as the Sons of Thunder. And so in, in, in John's uh, younger life, he was known to say, hey, they're not following us. Why don't you call down uh, fire from heaven and just burn them all up? This was the Apostle John. Uh, the Apostle John, he had been with Jesus for three years in his ministry, and he had seen a lot of things in his life. He saw Jesus heal a little girl who was dead, you know, just went over and just told her to get up, and she got up. John saw those things. Yes, sir. John was able to see uh, Jesus take a little, you know, little bread and little fish and lift it up to heaven and pray and ask God to multiply it, and he blessed it, and he saw Jesus take a small amount from a lad and feed more than 5,000 people. John saw those things. John was also, he was a witness to uh, the, the empty tomb. And although the scripture said that Peter outran him, uh, the apostle John was actually the, the first apostle or disciple to enter in to witness the empty tomb. And I, I wanted to make sure that I stressed that he was the first apostle to enter the tomb because actually the first person was Mary. Mary Magdalene. So the first one that was actually there and actually saw and heard a message from Jesus was actually a woman. Amen. 
John was there in the upper room. He was with Peter as he watched, um, as he watched Peter uh, turn from being afraid to confess the Lord, to standing boldly to thousands that, uh, that he saw, basically he saw Peter go from hiding out and denying Jesus to actually standing up in front of thousands and, and confessing that what you see us doing right now and the things that you're hearing is not drunkenness, but we're just filled with the Spirit of the Lord. John saw that. John saw was a participant in the fact that they went in front of the temple and there was a blind man sitting there and, and uh, they began to confess that they do not have silver and gold or anything to offer you, but what they do have, they have in the name of Jesus get up. And so they reached out and lift this, this man up who was crippled and he stood up and walked and leaped. John witnessed those things. Yes, Lord. And so we have the apostle John in his later years, old man. And I've learned as I've grown older, I just love to sit under those who are, are older, those who have been through some things and just, and just listen to their stories and listen to them share the experiences of life. Yes, Jesus. And here we have the privilege to listen in, to read across a letter from the Apostle John in his old age. And here's what he says to um, the church. And if we go back and, and look at um, verse 12 in, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So John was pretty much encouraging the church. He was pretty much pointing out the fact of, of their spiritual state. He was basically saying, you know, I want, I want to remind you that your sins have been forgiven. You know, I've come to realize that it's, it's, it's not sometimes we, we just, you know, we just need to be reminded that God has allowed us to overcome. You know, it's not always, you know, sometimes we focus on the, our lack and things that we haven't accomplished or, or something that we're struggling with. And we tend to focus on that. It, it was just encouraging for me to see as John began to write to the churches, he just didn't jump in and condemn them. But he began to remind them of their successes in Christ. And so he said, your sins have been forgiven. You tried him and you know him. You have overcome the evil one. He looked at the young people. He looked at YOBCC and the teens, and he said, you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. Peggy, you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. You and you, you too have overcome the evil one. I just think it's good to be reminded of those things. I don't know about you. Just to be reminded, you know, I mean, it wasn't like everything was, was fine and dandy outside of this particular church, which we'll talk about a little later. But the Apostle, Apostle John just took time to say, listen, I want to remind you that your sins have been forgiven. Yes, Lord. Let me make it personal. I want to remind you as Anthony Jones, as the body of Christ, 
our sins have been forgiven. You know him, Christ, you have tried him, and you know him to be true. I want you to know, BCC, and those who are in here today, that you are strong, and the word of God dwells in you. I want you to know that. You know him. So I love the fact that the Apostle John took time out to say that. But just like a good teacher who hung out with Jesus, he goes on farther in his letter to say in verse 15. And I thought it was interesting, and we're just going to walk through the word here for a little bit. He goes on to tell them, he says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Yes, Lord. He says the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Yes, so he goes on to say, do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world. You know, I know he said earlier in the Gospels in John 3.16, he says, you know, that for God so loved the world that he gave. And I believe that he was just stressing. Now, that's the, that's the job of God. God loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son. But for you, little children, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Don't love the things of, you know, those things of, of pride, the pride of life. Don't love the things of, of the lust of the eyes, the first thing you see and you want it. You got to have the iPhone 6. You got to have the iPhone 7 or 8. You got to have the latest technology. You got to have the latest ride. You got to have the latest whatever. The lust of the eyes. Be quiet. <laughs> the world way focuses on the lust of the flesh. And I've, said, and I've said this before, and I looked at it, and I, I'm just amazed at the world ways and its obsession with the body. We're, we're just obsessed with the body. I'm talking about the flesh. You know, it tripped me out one time. I, I pulled up an ESPN magazine. I'm like, my goodness, what kind of magazine is this? And, and they did a series where they had athletes just almost naked, just all out. Just glorifying the flesh. You know, we can't listen to a song on the radio or see a video or even watch a, a, a show or something or, or news or, uh, or like, you know, you're thinking you're watching something, a clean comedy, and, and they're talking about how big some girl's butt is. Can I say that at church? <laughs> the lust of the flesh. John said, don't, don't love those things. I want to remind you of that. We don't have to, to, to fall in love and live the way that the world lives. And what I mean by the world, I'm not talking about your, your cousin or whatever that don't go to church and hang out on the streets. I'm not talking about you know, your, your, your uh, office mate or whatever that's always coming in and, talk, and, and saying dirty jokes. I'm talking about there's a system outside of what the physical eyes can see. 
There's a system that's set up to deceive you and draw you from the things of God. And those things are not always tangible, able to touch. But there, there's a world way of doing things that I believe that John was telling them that I want to remind you to be careful. Be careful. Because the system has a way of handing you things and having his hand behind his back. Mm-hmm. Be careful. But then he goes on to verse 18. And notice how he picks it up. You know, I'm just imagining the, the, the people receiving these letters. Now, this type of letter was not just a personal level uh, letter because you'll see it in the epistles 2nd John and 3rd John. You'll see it becomes more personal as the epistles advance written by John. But this one wasn't just a personal letter written to a particular church. It was, this letter was being written or read from churches in the areas that John had, yes, had oversaw. He was the overseer of these churches. So one church would read it and then they would pass it on and then they would read it to another uh, body of believers in the area. And so I just imagine like, oh yes, we're overcome. Yes, we know the Lord and we know that those things that we've learned from the beginning, that we've seen it manifested and revealed in our lives today, but then it's kind of like you're reading this letter like, oh, hey, this world, this world is passing away. But then he goes on to say, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. John kind of threw out a, a kind of like a new term uh, in his letter. And he mentioned the word, the, the antichrist. And the word antichrist uh, can mean, it's, it's basically when you look at it, it's, it means what it, what it says, it's anti-Christ, those who are against Christ. They're against Christ or opposite of Christ. Those things it says, but, but it also, when you look at the definition of the antichrist, but it also means in place of Christ. So John was saying, you know, in these last times, you're gonna see those who will, will present themselves in place of Christ. And so again, as we're reading this letter, we are, we are like diving in of things that we really don't know about. I remember uh, about a couple of weeks ago, I was downstairs and I found an old letter uh, that I wrote to Tynez. And you know, this letter, I started to bring it in, but it was, I mean, it, it looked like, I mean, you would have thought we were like, went through a time capsule or something because it was like the Dead Sea Scroll. I mean, I don't know where you folded that letter up. But we had went to a Song of Solomon, a Solomon conference and um, uh, led by uh, Tommy Nelson. And uh, he had this activity where the married couples did and they wrote a letter that, um, that you know, you write a letter to your spouse, kind of like talking over the things that, where you first met. Yes, and it was supposed to be like to spark this, this new, you know, new love for each other. And, you know, and I remember reading this letter and in this letter I was writing things like, yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't like that. You know, I, I mean, it was more like goofy like. <laughs> but but I, in the letter I wrote, you know, I remember when I, I first saw you in the Memorial Union. You know, I wrote things like, yes, and when we used to work together at Donnelly Marketing, 
and I used to stare at you, but not like stalking. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if somebody just, you know, if I took that letter and I like gave it to some friends in Alabama or some, some family members in Michigan or whatever, and I start using it, and they're reading this letter, and they're reading Donnelly Marketing and Memorial Union, they would have no idea what, 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 what the letter's talking about. Yes, you know, but they would know the basics that, you know, that he's talking about a love. And so John is pretty much painting a picture of the times. And he said, in this time that we live in, that there, the Antichrist is here. When um, John the Baptist uh, baptized Jesus, he went down the water, he came up, and then the spirit came down as a dove, remember? And then you heard a voice from heaven, this is my son. Uh, uh, I am pleased with him, follow him, listen to him. So of course you can get that mixed up, but he took that and said, yes, the spirit came down upon Jesus as a man, and then the spirit left him in the crucifixion. And when I was reading though philosophy, I had to go back and think what I said last week, because remember in my description and in my, in my, in my de demonstration of, of the spirit of God and how, how God's spirit, uh, how Christ's spirit left him and he went up and sat at the right hand of the Father and he came back down. But I want to remind you and make sure that I clear up any confusion is that God, Jesus Christ on the cross was fully man and fully God. And, and, and he has the power to send up his spirit and yet be the same in the flesh and at the same time show up and then come back and say, touch my hands. I am real. So what this reminds me is that I want to remind you that, that Christ, God in the flesh, was powerful enough when he left when he left, remember, he went around 40 days, and the Bible said he was still preaching. The Bible also said there was many other things going on. But he went back, and he showed the disciples his flesh. And so when he went up to the Father, he, he, when he went up to the Father, the Bible says he sat at the right hand of the Father. I want you to know that Jesus took all of who he was as an earthen vessel, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father with Mark still in his hand. So therefore, I want you to know that all of who we are and who we exist, that when God came down in the spirit of Jesus, when he came down in Jesus, he took our humanity and he went up and sat at the right hand of the Father. So therefore, he still is our advocate and understands and sympathizes with everything that we go through. And the Bible says he make intercession for us. Because fully God, fully man. But there were philosophers in that time that said, no, it just came and it left and, you know, the flesh is really not that and Jesus was just a man who actually died on the cross. And those who came from amongst them, as, Paul, as John said, they took a little bit of scriptures and they turned it around to their advantage. You know, I am one that believes from Genesis to Revelation. And I don't, get in, in, I don't get into the conversations of literally and figuratively and all that stuff. I, don't, I can't even pronounce it well. That's why I don't even get into it. <laughs> Genesis to Revelation. Yes, sir. But there were those who were just, John was reminding them, you have to be careful because around us are these people who actually believe these things and twist them up. 
John said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, revealed, demonstrated, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. We saw it. We saw him come back and show us his hands. We saw him go back up to heaven right before our very eyes. We saw it. And these things we declare to you. Don't believe the Antichrist because they're there. I say this, you know, he goes on to say, he says, when he was talking about the, the, the Antichrist, he goes further and say, there are, there are many false teachers as well. So you had those who would take the place of Christ and those who would change the theology and make it their own. But he also said there were false teachers who were also teaching that they had some type of uh, special knowledge. And they were only the true teachers. So they were also teachers. So when he goes on and says, he says that, I want to remind you that you have the anointing from the Holy One. And he said, you have the anointing from the Holy One. And the reason he was saying that was because these people, these people who believed in this way and twisted the word of God into their advantage, he was saying that you have, you have the anointing from the Holy One because they were also anointing people as well. And then they were also saying that because of this anointing on us that we have some special knowledge that you don't. And so John was clearing up like, no, 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 no. You have the anointing and it's from the Holy One. Thank you, Jesus. He, was telling, he was telling the church, he says, let, re, let me remind you that a teacher is anyone or anything you become a student to. So it wasn't just the, the, the false teachers or the, those who were uh, philosophers and those who were twisting the truth, but it was like he was reminding them that you have to be careful because anyone that you sit down and you become a student to, they have now become your teacher. So that means that we need to be careful of what YouTube videos we watch, who we follow on Twitter, who are some of our Facebook friends, who we listen to on podcasts. Because those who are learning, those you are learning from are your teachers. He says, you have an anointing. I said this, there was more than one type of anointing. And when you study this out, because that's, I mean, when you think about this letter, this is what drew me to uh, this particular epistle, this particular verse, and this particular message. And, and, and here we, we've been learning about us being spirit-filled treasure chests. And we've learned about what it means to be spirit-filled and what it means to be a treasure chest. And then we, we, we begin to, to dig in a little bit about um, it is what it is and that how we are earthen vessels and we go through things and we're pressed on every side. But then I want to remind you that there is something else called the anointing. So we have the spirit of God, but then there is also what is called the anointing. 
the anointing. And so you will see it mentioned many times in the scripture, but this particular term, this particular word, this Greek word is only used in their first epistle. So let me go over a few, few of the other uh, types of anointing. The anointing basically, it basically means to, to smear on or to rub on. There was one mentioned in, in the Old Testament, and uh, it's pronounced uh, mashak. And I'm quite sure I'm messing up the, I probably need to like spit a little bit more to kind of get that Hebrew, Hebrew pronunciation out there. But mashak, uh, to rub with oil or smear, to consecrate. And so it was not... Um, not every instance was religious. So with that particular word, it didn't necessarily have to have a religious uh, meaning uh, behind it. Uh, this particular rubbing oil uh, was also used to paint houses, uh, to rub on shields or the human body. Uh, this particular oil was also used to, 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 to place or rub on furniture in the tabernacle. There was also another particular anointing oil uh, pronounced Meshach. So you had Mashach and Meshach. Only found, and this particular one was only found in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and Numbers. And this oil was used only in the anointing ritual. So now you kind of upgrade it to like this particular oil was used for like the ritual ceremony. So it was, it was to symbolize the meaning for holiness. So the priest and uh, those, who, those who were anointed into the office of the priesthood, yes, they received the anointing oil upon them. And there, then there was the shimon, uh, refers to like a grease or liquid oil, uh, sometimes like uh, changed into like perfume. And so, you know, this one tripped me out because it was like, it was like the fat from like animals. It was like the fat from animals. Yes, uh, kind of like that Crisco, the, the, I mean, that's, I mean, it probably wasn't like Crisco, but I'm just saying, like, am I trying to understand what this may look like? You know, I start to think about Crisco. Yeah. Uh, but it was also used for, like, strength, uh, used for cooking, uh, prepared for various purposes. And then we come to chrisma, which is the, the, the Greek word for the anointing that we see here in 1 John 2, verse 20 and 27. And chrisma uh, means to smear on, uh, to rub on, specially prepared. It was a, this was a specially prepared anointing oil. It's also meant to not, not just smear on, but to, to rub over. And so when John was saying that you have an anointing, he was basically saying that you have been like rubbed over, smeared upon with the spirit of God. And it's from the Holy One. That the anointing that you have received, it didn't come from like some, you know, guy on the corner or whatever. It didn't come from just a regular old ritual, but the anointing oil that you have comes from the Holy One. Thank you, God. This particular oil mentioned in 1 John chapter 2 in verse 20 and 27, this particular anointing is the only place where it signifies an anointing which had been experienced. Did you catch that? It was the only one where it was experienced. This anointing all was experienced. Remember, he, he had a whole list of you know and we know 
you know and we know. All the way down, he had a list of reminders of what these, these churches knew. The word also seems to, it, it presented some, some sense of prominence. And so on the one hand, to what uh, the readers had experienced, and then on the other hand, by referring it to the Old Testament practice. So when you look at um, the Old Testament practice from, when you look at it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when you see this, 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 this hierarchy of the anointing, therefore before Christ and after Christ. And so he was, I mean, the, John was pretty much connecting the Old Testament and all the things that had been applied through the anointing and from Jesus Christ and then the anointing coming down to 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, he says that you have experience and it not only connects you to now, but it also connects you to the, to the past and those things and the anointing that came from the Old Testament. You have an anointing from the Holy One. He goes down and after he begins to continue to explain that and he begins to tell you, tell the, the churches that you have an anointing from the Holy One. So therefore, it's not, it just didn't come from anyone, but this anointing is from Christ. 